All right, if you have a Bible, go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 will be our passage this morning. We're starting a brand new series uh, called Family Ties. You've already had a great introduction to that. And uh, we're going to take the next few weeks and look at the issue of family. And this morning, really start with kind of a burden and a conviction uh, that the Bible would call us to uh, for family and the idea of leaving a legacy. And, uh, you know, Berean has always been a church historically committed to the family. And uh, we're going to continue as we think about over the next few months uh, a vision for family ministry, as we'll talk about that as a faith family, uh, what God has called us to, because this is a really big deal uh, in the culture and an even bigger deal in the Bible. And so this morning, I want to kind of bring us together around a text and to challenge us uh, to have a conviction for the issue of family and the issue of legacy. And so this morning, Psalm 78, Psalm 78 will be our text. Uh, if you're able to stand, I'll ask you to do so for the honor of reading God's Word, recognizing that these words come with the very authority of God. And the psalmist writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 1, "'Give ear, O my people, to my teaching.'" Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable and utter dark sayings from old, things that we've heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We'll not hide them from their children, but we'll tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but to keep His commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is God's Word. Pray with me. Lord, we do ask now that You would lead us as we look at Your Word. I uh, pray that You teach us and Spirit come. Open our eyes and help us see clearly that, that we have the right focus in our life, that, um, that we would have the passion uh, that this psalm calls us to. So lead us to that end, we pray, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, one of my uh, favorite sports growing up was baseball. Any baseball fans? I loved playing baseball. Yeah, three of you. Good. <laughs> I played Little League and Summer League and all the way through high school and uh, pick up games of wiffle ball in the backyard. I mean, I, anything we could make into a game like baseball, we did. We just loved it growing up. I enjoyed getting out in the backyard and throwing a pitch with my son and getting ready for baseball for him. We just like baseball. And not only did I enjoy playing it, but uh, enjoy going uh, to baseball games. In fact, in a few weeks, I'm going to take my son to his first Minnesota Twins game. Yay. Y'all were, yeah, you're a lot more responsive than the other uh, services. You must like the Twins. But I'm going to take him to the game. I'm sure it'll be a great experience for him. And um, um, you know, if you've ever been to a baseball game like that, you know that one of the things people love to do is to catch a foul ball. 
And people do crazy things to get a foul ball. I mean, they will jump over chairs and push people over and jump rails and, I mean, all over a ball, a foul ball. And in fact, I'm going to show you an example of a guy, a Dodgers fan, bless his heart, uh, at a game trying to catch a foul ball and he misses it. Uh, poor guy. And you'll notice his daughter here that uh, she kind of gives him an elbow in the chest there. Like, what's up, you know? Now, you might think that she's upset at the fact that she really wanted a foul ball, and here dad has his one opportunity to catch a foul ball, and he missed it. But that's not really why she's upset. In fact, if you watch the clip again in a little slow motion, you'll know that here's dad holding daughter, dad dropping daughter, <laughs> dad missing ball. Whoops. <laughs> No wonder she punches him. <laughs> Jerk. Can you believe that? That's crazy. That's crazy. In fact, just for laughs, let's watch it one more time, all right? Here's dad holding daughter, dropping daughter, missing ball. Oh. That poor guy. I, I thought about this earlier. I thought, that guy missed a foul ball, and he never knew he was going to be an illustration at church in Burnsville, Minnesota. <laughs> you know, I've had my bad parenting moments too, but I'm glad they don't show them over and over again on SportsCenter, right? Now, I saw that, and I thought, in addition to just the fact that it's funny, I thought, boy, there's an image there that really tells a story. In fact, it's an image that I hope that you'll have in your mind as we work through this passage. And the thought is this, folks, that sometimes we can be so focused on what we want, our career, our, our busy schedules. We can be so focused on the here and now that we fail to recognize we are literally dropping the next generation. We're so focused on the here and now and what we want that that which we've been entrusted with, we're literally dropping. In fact, it's happening. From 2009 to 2011, the birth rate in America dropped 5%. It is now at about 2.1, which is stagnant at best. It's a little better than places in Europe. Germany, for instance, has a birth rate of about 1.4, but you compare that to, say, Muslim families, which have a birth rate of about anywhere from 6 to 8. In fact, Muslims say that Germany will be Muslim within three generations simply by birth rate alone. Here in America, we have what's known as an aging population. It means there's more older people than younger people. When Social Security started, there was eight workers for every one retiree. Now that's been flipped on its head, where there's hardly enough workers to sustain the retirees. Why? We've stopped having children. That's not to say that your spirituality is directly related to the amount of children you have. It is to say that as a cultural trend... We have become so individualistic and materialistic that we have literally taken our focus off of family. 
And we can say, no, we haven't, no, we haven't, but the cultural trends are showing that it's true. And it's not just a social issue here, it's a spiritual issue. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody in this room that's 18 years old or younger to stand. 18 years old or younger. Not those of you who think you're 18 years old. Now, listen, folks, look around the room. Every single study out there tells us the low end is 70%, the more common end is about 80%, which means eight out of every 10 of this generation, when they leave youth group, when they leave that time, when they graduate, they leave the church. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody to be seated except this group right here. So everybody else be seated and just you keep standing right here. Those back there, you can be seated. Which means, out of all those that were standing, illustratively, this is all that will remain. You can go ahead and be seated. Which means this generation had better wake up. Before the very generation that we've been entrusted with, we drop because we're so focused on what we want now. It's a problem. It's a burden. It's a conviction that the psalmist of Psalm 78 has. And I'm telling you, he writes this psalm to his people with passion. And it's challenging, and it's convicting, and I hope it will wake us up. This psalmist feels so burdened about this issue of family and generational legacy that he pleads with his people. Notice in verse 1, he says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. That phrase, give ear, in the Hebrew literally means to stretch out your ear. It's a word of focus, of passion, of intensity. Listen, I've got something on my heart and I need you to listen. Give your ear to it. Listen up. There's a problem and we need to focus on that. And what is he calling his people to be focused about? Verse 5, God has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. He's calling His own people to be passionate about God and passionate about the Word of God. Because listen, 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 you can't give another generation what you don't have. How do you expect to impact the next generation for God if you've not been impacted by God? And he's saying, wake up, my people, listen, give your ear. There's something big that's on the line that your, your life needs to have focus on, and it starts with realizing that God has established a testimony in Jacob. We are people of an awesome story. We serve an incredible God who's done awesome things throughout generations. Biblically, we serve the God who created everything. I mean, He spoke, let there be light, and there was. That's a pretty cool thing. And the Exodus account, and the, the Jericho story, and the promised land, and the lion's den, and the fiery furnace, so many stories of the, says the psalmist would say, wonders of God. 
And in the New Testament, there's miracles and the cross and the resurrection. And then the book of Acts, when the church turns the world upside down, you're a part of that story. Has your life lost focus on that? Oh, give ear, oh my people. God has established a testimony. And not just biblically, but personally. Like your salvation. Think about how many stories are in the room this morning of God's saving grace. All unique, all different stories, but one common thread, and that is the grace of God. Think about that time when God restored your relationship, when God provided for you, when you didn't know how you were going to eat, you didn't know how you were going to make ends meet, and that, that check comes in the mail, or that friend gives something, and all of a sudden, God has revealed once more His faithfulness. Man, God has established a testimony in this church, in your life, in the Bible. And the problem is you can lose focus of that. And when you lose focus of that, the passion for God in your life is minimized. And your passion for the Word of God that God has established, appointed a law in Israel. You see, the point is the psalmist is trying to wake his people up to the things of God. He wants them to hear and in the Bible, hearing doesn't just mean letting information come in one ear and go out the other. It means that you're stretching your ear out, being attentive to what is said, and then applying it to your life. Jesus said, let he who has an ear, let him hear. Uh, the book of Hebrews says, about this we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. You're not acting right because you're not listening or in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, church members, listen. Remember that you're a part of an awesome story. And don't lose focus on that. Because if you do, the day may come when you wake up from the American dream only to find a generation that's gone. And the impact that you will leave starts with a personal renewal for the passion and the glory of God. And then notice how the psalmist moves from that, 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 intention, that, that, uh, that intensity that he wants his people to have to an intentionality that he wants them to take. Look at verse 4. So here he says, you know, give your ear, listen to these teachings. God's established a testimony, verse 4 then. We'll not hide them from their children, but we'll tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Verse 5, that He's commanded our fathers to teach their children that to the next generation they might know them. Here's what he's saying, folks, right here. Give ear and then give it away. It's not just about being passionate for God for your own sake. It's being passionate for God that that passion would then spill over into the lives of other people. Give ear to what I'm saying so that you can then give it away, being intentional about investing in the lives of generations to come. And to think about this practically, what this would mean is 
you know, vacation Bible school is not that far away. We ought to have to turn people away from wanting to volunteer. At va- give up a week to invest in the next generation. Where do I sign up? Man, I, yes, our student ministry should never be short on people trying to bust down the door saying, how can I help make an impact and serve and invest in the next generation. And it's not just within the church, in case you think I'm just trying to manipulate you here. It's about your neighborhood, your community. Listen, folks, God has given you practical opportunities on a week-by-week or month-by-month basis to make an intentional investment in the lives of other people that they might know the story of God too. That's what the psalmist is burdened for. Listen to how Paul talks about this as he writes to Titus in Titus chapter 2. He says, Older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, and that the Word of God may not be divided. Here's the point here. It's to say this. um, Where do you go when you're trying to find help and how to learn how to love a difficult spouse? Where do you go when you're struggling with how to raise this creature in diapers <laughs> running around your home acting crazy? This, this teenager that maybe you're struggling on how to communicate with. Uh, teenagers, others who they've not been to high school and they have no idea how to navigate that, what to expect and be prepared for. Where do you turn when you're at that point in life? It's not run to the Christian bookstore and buy a book written by an expert. The answer that God has given you is the church. It's about an older woman willing to make the investment in a younger woman It's about an older man willing to make the investment in a younger man. It's about a high schooler willing to make the investment in a middle schooler. It's about you not making this a generational thing, but just saying, who is coming behind me? Who is yet to go through the things that I've gone through, and how can I help them as it relates to the things of God? Brian, we are not making disciples if we're just offering a bunch of Bible studies and giving you Bible knowledge. We are making disciples when we are intentional about investing our lives in the lives of other people. And that may be children down the hall, and that may be a neighbor across the street, but the psalmist is saying, listen, the conviction and burden of your life needs to be, I'm a part of the story of God. That's awesome. How do I keep that story going to those who will come behind me? And I I hope we have that passion. Then notice he talks about the impact that when we start making that investment in the lives of others, the impact that it has on future generations. Look at verse 6. He says that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn. I underline that. Children not even born yet. Faces you've never seen. Names you'll never know. And yet, the lives that we live now will have an impact then. And we won't even know it. We'll be dead and gone. 
They won't even remember our name, but the legacy we left may very well remain. The the ripple effect of our passion for God and our willingness to invest that in others will continue long after the air in our lungs does. And that's what the psalmist is calling us to. Children yet unborn, arise, will tell them to their children so that they'll set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Church, what you're doing now will have an impact on them, whoever them will be then. In fact, how many of you like to play dominoes? Some of y'all have been staring at this all morning long. What in the world is this? I want to illustrate Psalm 78 here. Now, thinking about this text, I, I was thinking about the domino effect that our lives have. In fact, you think about this first domino does not make any physical contact whatsoever with the last domino, does it? Never touches it. In fact, it, there's many dominoes in between, but yet, It's the action of the first domino that has everything to do with the impact of the last one. And that's your life. That's what the psalmist of Psalm 78 is calling us to. Man, be passionate and live for God and don't forget that you're a part of an awesome story. And grow in that passion for Him and then invest that in the life of someone else and be intentional about doing that, that they would in turn do the same thing. And before you know it, you have made an impact in people you'll never know. Lives you'll never physically ever touch. Faces you'll never even look into. But your life right now could have that kind of impact then. And that's what the psalmist is saying. There are children, not even born, who will experience the domino effect of your life. So I'm going to ask you, are you so focused on trying to catch the ball that is the here and now that you're literally dropping the next generation. You're not even thinking about that. It's all about now. Well, may Psalm 78 be that kind of wake-up call, because if not, notice what the psalmist says is on the line. Positively, it's this. Verse 6, the children yet unborn, that the next generation might know them. He's right here on the front row. I'm going to just say it. You know what I want more for my kids than anything? It's not for my son to grow up and be a, you know, major league baseball player. It's not that he'll get some scholarship to some school. It's not that he'll have some career. It's it's ultimately that he'll know God. He'll know God. And and my girls, you know, yeah, there are things in life that matter, but there's nothing more important than that they would know God. Because the psalmist goes on to say, and then they'll trust, they'll set their hope in God. In other words, how are they going to hope in God if they don't know about God? And then he goes on to say, they won't forget His works, but they'll keep His commandments. In other words, 
Their obedience is directly related to their ability to hope, and their hope is directly related to their knowing of God, and their knowing of God is directly affected by the ripple effect you leave. Now, that's huge. I want to give you an example of this, of an example of the domino effect that we see in Scripture. In fact, you know, many of you remember the story of Joseph uh, in the book of Genesis. We, we know kind of the, the last part of Joseph's life. Um, you know, he had a kind of a family problem. His brothers hated him and wanted him dead. It's kind of a family problem. I don't know about your family problem. That's kind of a bad family problem. But they settled for selling him into slavery. Joseph went to Egypt where he would be falsely accused by another man's wife, Potiphar's wife, to end up in prison. In prison, he helps other people, but they forget him until eventually one day Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh likes this guy, and he gives him a high position in the palace. A day comes when there's a famine in the land, and Israel has to come to Egypt to eat. And guess who Joseph comes into contact with? His brothers. His brothers are scared to death. Wouldn't you be? After all, you just sold your brother into slavery a few years ago, and now you're dependent on him to feed you. Now, if I'm Joseph, my response is, I hope you like starvation. (laughs) Because I kind of remember all the difficulty that I've had to go through because I was hurt deeply by a family member. They're scared to death. They're convinced they're not going to eat. Genesis 50 verse 21 says that Joseph's response was this, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Are you kidding me? That is not how most of our families would react. He's been hurt. He's been treated horribly. And his response to his brothers, to his family members is, I forgive you, I'll take care of you, and you can eat. Where did he learn that from? Well, he's in the Bible, so he must be like super spiritual. Have you read the Bible? (laughs) These people are not super spiritual. Certainly in Genesis. He's just like you and I. Where did he learn it from? Well, it must have been vacation Torah school when he was a little kid. (laughs) i tell you where he learned it from. Rewind the story. His dad was named Jacob. Jacob had an older brother named Esau, who the Bible says was a hairy man. I just wanted to throw that out there. One of my favorite Bible verses, and Esau was a hairy man. Anyways, (laughs) Jacob, the younger brother, cheated Esau, the older brother, out of his inheritance. Esau was furious, as you would be. He wanted him dead. Jacob runs, he flees. In fact, he has to start a whole new life in another land. Then one day God comes to Joseph and he tells Jacob and he tells Jacob to go and reunite with Esau. 
And notice what happens in Genesis 33. In verse 1 it says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, Esau was coming with four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in the front. Do you know what this masculine, strong man does? He says, Esau's coming with a whole bunch of men. I'm going to die, so I'm going to put all the women I don't like in the front line. Let them die first. He's scared to death because he knows the hammer's about to come down. Dude betrayed his brother, stole the inheritance. And then notice in verse 3 it says, He himself went on before them, that is Rachel and Joseph. So Joseph is this little boy at the back of the parade with a front row seat to what's about to happen. And Jacob falls to the ground seven times until Esau comes near. And then in verse 4, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. How's that for a family reunion? Where did a 41-year-old Joseph learn how to forgive a family member who betrayed him? He learned it as a little boy when he watched his uncle do the exact same thing. And it left a mark. There was a domino effect of how Esau, Joseph's brother, Joseph's uncle, how he treated his brother so that as an older man in his 40s, when he encountered family members and brothers that would betray him, he knew how to act. He knew how to respond as it related to God because his uncle made a mark in his life. Oh, Berean. Oh, Berean, what kind of domino effect will your life lead? What type of impact will your family have? That there would be a generation, and I pray it's this generation right here, there would be a generation with a big view of God and confidence in God. And one day when they're asked, where did you get that? Where'd you get that passion? Where'd you get that view of God? Where'd you get that love for God's Word? Their response would be, my daddy taught me. My mom modeled it for me. I saw it in an uncle. Somebody at church was willing to take the time to make an investment in my life. Where did I learn it? I learned it from a generation that came before me who wasn't so focused on themselves that they dropped me. They knew that God had established a testimony and appointed a law and they made sure I knew it. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. This morning, this starts, according to the psalmist, with your passion for God. A personal renewal to a hunger and a love for Him because you can't give others what you don't have.
So this morning, would you start there? And in starting there, would you then begin to think about the future? How am I going to pass this on? What practical ways can I invest this in the lives of people all around me? Oh God, I pray that you'd give us the burden of Psalm 78. Not a bad burden, a holy burden, a conviction. I do pray that this morning there, it would be a sense of a wake-up call for those of us who are just trying to catch the ball while all the while we're dropping the very thing that matters most. And so would you do that in this church? Would you do that in the families here? Would you do that in each individual? And give them that pure and holy passion for you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.